So, as you know, over the past couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the church vision and our house groups and, and church. And it's important that we don't only know the vision of the church, but it's important that we know why we've got that vision and how we can be part of fulfilling it. So hopefully most of us will know that the vision comes from Isaiah 54, 2 and 3 that says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Strengthen your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. And our church vision, of course, is to stretch, strengthen, send in people locally, nationally and globally. So thinking about the vision of the church this morning and how my message fitted, I believe that God's been speaking to me about this since the end of last year. And to begin with, I thought, I don't know how that's going to fit with what we're talking about in church, God. And then we changed to vision. Because I felt that God was saying that we don't just need to know the vision that he's given Pastor Jim, but we also need to choose to be part of it. And I know this morning there were people in here that are thinking that they've already chosen to be fully involved in the vision. They're going to get behind of it. And there will be some of us who are already up for being sent locally. Some will be up for being sent nationally. And already there will already be people who will say that they'll go globally. But you see, there are brothers in here this morning that don't know what their part of the vision is. And I believe that part of the way that we get to know that is to know what our individual vision is that God has of us. So that leads me to the title of my message this morning, and it is, Who Are You? So I hope this morning that you will leave here knowing either who you are in God or how to find out who you are in Him. See, to find that out, you need to continue to read the Word of God. You need to be in His presence, and you need to pray. I was thinking also about the children, and when they're out, we're amazing kids workers. Every week, they learn little Bible verses that they know is a memory verse. And they learn these verses as children, and they stay with them throughout their lives. So I've got two children who are not in church, but if I ask them a memory verse, if I ask them to tell me something, they will have verses that are still in their hearts, that God still brings to remembrance to them when they're in times of trouble. Or sometimes it's actually not when they're in times of trouble. A lot of the times it can just be that something's going well in their lives and they remember something that God told them. So if you've never learnt a verse from the Bible, I'd encourage you to try so find one that you feel that God's speaking to you and keep reading it over and over and eventually you'll learn it. You see, it doesn't come naturally for us to remember something the first time we read it. And thinking about how difficult it is to remember a verse, again, we'll be thinking about our amazing worship team. So when they stand up in there on a Sunday, we all look at them and they play their instruments amazingly well and they sing amazingly well. But that didn't happen overnight. They didn't get up this morning and think, do you know what, I could be in the praise team. I'm going to just go this morning, Scott will let me go up there and sing, or I'm going to buy a guitar and Scott will let me play it. No, it doesn't happen like that, I'm afraid. They have been practising most of them all their lives, but that still doesn't stop. They still continue to practise. And our relationship goes like that. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that we have to continue to practise. And this happens when we spend time read his word and practice our faith. We will get better at it and eventually it will change from head knowledge to heart knowledge. We need to know what God thinks about us and that needs to become in our heart. So there's three key areas I want to look at this morning and the first one is image. And the Bible says a a lot about our image and how we are made in his image. But I want to take you this morning to think about your image and your self-image. See, the dictionary says that your image is a representation of the external form of a person. 
but your self-image is the idea one has of your abilities, appearance and personality. So thinking about image for me, personally I can worry about it, I probably too much. And I think about the image I want to portray to others, and this may include what I look like, what I say, how I behave, and quite often this can have a negative impact on me because I think too much of what people are thinking about me. There's also the image that others have of me, and this can be something that I sometimes feel that I need to live up to, again, causing a negative impact. And then there's my self-image. And the self-image I have of myself is probably the one that's the most negative because my self-image often leads to self-doubt. And even though I knew that this message was the message that God was asking me to share, I really started to doubt it last week. Then on Wednesday night, we were in a house group, and after we had finished, we were just sitting, we were talking, we were just discussing church and what church is like and how things happen and how does a preach come about and how does the praise team choose. And we were just talking about, well, that all comes from God. If you go prayerfully before God and you ask him, what do you want me to say or what songs you want to sing? But even though I was saying all those things and I knew that it was true, by Thursday night, I was really doubting my message. I was actually getting to the stage where I was thinking, I wonder if I can phone in sick. So I went to bed and I was praying about it and I said to God, you either need to help me change it, and it's Thursday, or you need to give me confirmation. So for the first time ever, before my preach, Scott messaged me on Thursday night and says, what about the praise and worship music? Is there something that you're thinking so I messaged him back and I says, well, actually, I want to speak about the Lauren Daigle song that says, you say. Scott messaged me straight back to say, I've been thinking about that too. Can I sing it? So there was my confirmation. And I just thought, you know, God, like, I've spent all this time with this self-doubt. My message tells me to stop doing it, but I'm still doing it. Small and I came to church and I'm driving down with Maureen and I was still really nervous. Comes in, Louise Upton shares a devotional and some of the scriptures I'm going to share, she shared with us. And then Anne comes from this morning with pegs and says, I'm not going to share this. And I says, but you have to, because I want to talk about the image of God. And she didn't even realise that she, while she was speaking to me, as you've already heard, she said a few times when she was speaking, who are you? What peg are you? The title of my message. So God constantly reaffirming that what I was going to say was right. So, Kerry get out your own head. So I'm going to take you back to the song that you've just sang. An opening verse says, I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again who I am because I need to know. You see, there will always be voices that say we're not good enough and we'll never measure up and that we are just the sum of our circumstances we find ourselves in. Now, this can be your own voice, but it can also be people in your lives. And sometimes it's even the devil because you let them. See, it's a choice to believe those voices or you can choose to sing the chorus that says, you say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. And you say I'm held when I'm falling short. And when I don't believe, will you say I'm yours? And I believe, oh, I believe what you say of me. I believe the only thing that matters now is what you think of me. And you, I find my worth. And you, I find my identity. But to enable us to sing that chorus and really mean it, the first thing we need to look at is what God says about our image. And the scriptures and the stories I'm going to share with you this morning are all going to come from the New Living Translation. But my main scripture is in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where we read that we're made in God's image. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals in us, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're created in his image, as Anne told us this morning, shaped and moulded. And it isn't just Genesis that reminds us of us. Of this. In Psalm 139, 13 and 14, it says, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. And in Colossians 3 and 10, it says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. If God says we're made in his image and that when we accept Christ as our saviour that we have a new nature, who are we to argue? We need to keep these verses close to our heart and not only know them, but believe it. And if you don't have a memory verse yet, a scripture that you hold close to your heart, there's two that you could choose. When we read about people in the Bible who knew who they were in God, they were fully aware of their God image and we can see how God used them. So the easiest person to look at that knew their image is Jesus. He knew who he was and he didn't give in to temptation. Because in Luke 4, 1 to 13, we read about the temptation of Jesus. See, he'd just been baptised and he returned from the river Jordan and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And here he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. But he ate nothing and even when he became hungry, the devil said, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus knew the scriptures and says to him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Not satisfied that Jesus wouldn't have given to the temptation and the devil comes back to him and he takes him up above all the kingdoms of the world and he says, I'll give you the glory of these kingdoms and my authority over them, the devil says, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give you all if you will just worship me. And Jesus replies, you must worship your Lord and your God and serve only him. So the devil eventually takes him back to the highest point he says if you are the son of God jump off for the scripture says he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot in the stone but Jesus replies the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God so when the devil had finished tempting Jesus Jesus he left him until the next opportunity came you see Jesus didn't give in to temptation because he knew these scriptures he knew who he was he knew who God was he knew that God was his father And this made him able to resist the temptation of the devil. In your life at this present time, it might not be a temptation that you're dealing with. But we've all got areas in our lives that we struggle with. And if you know who God says you are in that circumstance, it makes you stronger. It makes your image stronger. And hopefully will not look me this week, but your self-image will come in line with him. So I'm going to give you some other scriptures to tell you what God says about you. See, when, God say, when we say to God, I can't figure it out, God says, I will direct your steps. In Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. When you say, I'm too tired, God says, I'll give you rest. And Matthew 11, 28 and 30, he says, Then Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. When you say it's impossible, God says, all things are possible. Luke 18, 27. He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. When you say, nobody loves me, God says, John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. 
When you say, I can't forgive myself, God says, I forgive you. Romans 8, 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. When you say, it's not worth it, God says it will be worth it. Romans 8, 28. And we all know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. When you say, I'm not smart enough, God says, I will give you wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1, 30. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and freed from sin. When you say, I can't do it, God says, you can do all things. Philippians 4, 13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I've got so many more. There are so many more scriptures of the things that God says about us. For every negative thing that you can say about yourself, God has a positive. And God's positives are the truth. Your negatives are lies. And you have to be aware of every lie that you accept is damaging your image, your outward image, but it's also damaging your self-image. Because you need to believe that go- the image that God has of you and not the image that other people have of you and not the self-image. Because your image that you believe is the image that will determine how you influence others. And that brings to my, my second point of influence, which is the capacity to have an effect on the character, development or behaviour of someone or something. So today, the 23rd of April, is probably quite a special day for me because it was my, would have been my grandpa's birthday. And the first song I ever remember him singing to me is Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. So, a good influence in my life. But sometimes our influence can be good, but it can be bad. And we need to choose how we're going to influence others. Are we going to ensure that they know that God loves them because the Bible tells them so? Are you going to condemn them because they don't live up to your standards? See, I've got an elastic band with me. And I can, it can't stretch on its own. I have to pull it to stretch it. But if I pull it too hard, it'll eventually break. And we need to think about how we treat people with our influence. We can stretch them and strengthen them with our words and actions. And we can treat them that elastic band where we stretch them. But if we don't stretch, strengthen them, we could break them. We need to think about this influence. Because a bad influence could be the way that we speak or act when we're not at church. We often speak about wearing a mask when we don't want people to see what's going on in our lives. And this can be both ways. You could wear a mask in church to hide who you are outside of the building. Or are you wearing a mask outside of the building to hide who you are in God when you're here on a Sunday? But it doesn't matter what mask you're wearing because you can never hide from God. He knows what's going on. So I want to share someone with you this morning in the Bible who had a good and bad influence, but I'm going to start with his bad influence, and I'm going to take you to King David in 2 Samuel. Because there was a woman he desired called Bathsheba, but he, she was already married to one of his commanders. But here, in this part of the story, David uses his influence to get what he wants. I mean, who is going to say no to the king? So he brings Bathsheba to him while her husband Uriah is away in battle. They well we know what they do they have sex she gets pregnant he sends her away so when the word comes back that she's pregnant he brings Uriah back from the battle because he's got to hide the fact of what he's done he doesn't want people to know he sends Uriah back to Bathsheba but Uriah doesn't go home because he's trying to do what's right he's trying to do what's right before King David and these men and stays at the temple 
But David needs many the part of this story. This is now where David starts to think, oh my goodness, they're going to find out who I really am. They're going to find out what I've done. So now he knows that his image is going to be tarnished. His image is going to be tarnished because of the influence that he's used wrongly. So, see, he knew what God said about him. But what he'd started to do was he'd started to listen about what other people were saying about him. He was starting to believe the image other people had. And he had listened to God's image of him and he believed the scriptures that he knew in his heart, then this problem would have happened. But to cover this up, to hide what he's done wrong, he uses his influence again. And he writes a letter to Joab that gets delivered to Uriah. And this time, the letter gives Uriah instructions for the battle. But Uriah follows the instructions because that's what, he's, what he does. He does exactly what his king's asked him to do. He's doing the right thing. But ultimately, this letter and instructions lead to Uriah's death. See, sometimes we can be like David. We might not lead someone to their death, but we could lead them in the wrong path. We could do something that damages them. But we need to then decide how we're going to use our influence. Are we going to use it wisely? Are we going to use it for our own agenda? Or are we going to be more like the David that knew who he was, that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart? He was repentant despite everything that just happened in that story. He repented and he believed that God forgave him and that God still loved him. He was honest before God and men, and even though he'd messed up big time, he owned up to what he'd done. He was faithful and trusted God. We see this way at the beginning of his story when he kills Goliath. No one else was willing to stand up to Goliath. Everyone else was scared. But David practiced his faith, practiced his trust in God, and he kills Goliath. He loved the Lord, and he was thankful, and we see that throughout the Psalms. All these things... Not the bad influence, but all the good things made David a worthy leader who then influenced others for the good and influenced others towards God. Still influencing us today towards God to take their eyes and send them heavenwards. Our image is important as it influences those around us and our influence is important because it inspires those around us. And this brings me to my last point where I'm going to challenge you to inspire. Because that's to fill someone with the urge or ability to do or feel something. So for this story, I'm going to take you to the book of Daniel. To look at someone else who had a clear image of who he was in God. And he used his influence that God gave him to inspire all those he came in contact with. You see, Daniel trusted God and he did what God asked of him. He believed what God said of him and he believed the promises that God had given him. And this image he had in himself, he used his influence to inspire not one king, not two, not even three, but four kings. See, Daniel's influence in these four kings inspired them to change who they were and what they believed. The first king we meet is King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 1. And in this part of the story, we see where Daniel and his friends choose to trust God and not defile their bodies and they only eat vegetables. And God not only sustains him, but the king chose him and his three friends for royal service. They were slaves. They were slaves who had been taken from their own land and brought to, brought to Babylon. And God 
told them who they were. They trusted that what they had heard before they were taken into slavery was right. That even though they were in slavery, that their God was bigger than this. You see, this led to the king consulting them for any matter that required wisdom and a balanced judgment. As they found them, as they, this is what the Bible says, that they were ten times more capable than any of the magicians in the kingdom. Not just a wee bit more capable, but ten times. Daniel knew who God said he was and he was secure in this godly image and that inspired him to be able to influence King Nebuchadnezzar to eventually he made the right choice and he praised chose God too. In Daniel 5 we go to King Belshazzar and he was different. He had decided that no, Daniel's God was not God. He mocked God, he brought back the idols, they were praising idols and life just was not good. So eventually, he gets to a stage where everything's going wrong. He doesn't know how to deal with that. He gets the magicians back, and the enchanters, and the astrologers, and the fortune tellers, and nobody can tell him what the right in the wall is. But then they remember Daniel. They remember Daniel, who was able to help King Nebuchadnezzar, and they suggest calling Daniel. Because this man was exceptional, had an exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He could interpret dreams, he could explain the riddles and he could solve the problems. So call for Daniel. Daniel came straight away and interpreted the writing on the wall. He explained what it was, not in his own strength, but God gave him the words and the wisdom. And despite the interpretation not being favourable towards King Belshazzar, he still saw that Daniel's God was the right God. Daniel's God was the only God. And even though Daniel didn't want it, he still robed him in royal robes and he made him the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So we go from a man who is denying Daniel's God to making Daniel the third highest ruler in the kingdom. What a turnaround. Then we come to King Darius and he made plans to place Daniel over the entire kingdom, he was going to be the ruler. But you see, the other rulers were not pleased. And they decided they were going to use Daniel's religion against him. They were going to use his relationship with God against him. He wasn't allowed to pray. He'd been outlawed. But rather than try and do it in secret, wear the mask. So he didn't wear the mask to hide who God was in his life. He did it and made sure that he sat somewhere that he could see the sun. He was praying to his God and it didn't matter who saw him because he knew that his God had an image of him and he knew that that image was the only thing that mattered. But this led to being thrown into a lion's den. Darius, king Darius didn't want to do that, but he was king. He had to go by the word that he'd said. So if this is the law, you break the law, this is what happens. And as we know, God kept the lion's mouth closed. Daniel was safe. The next morning, King Darius comes fully expecting that the lions have eaten Daniel. And when he sees that he hasn't, this is the decree he makes in Daniel 6.27. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. 
He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Wow. So from a slave to born in the royal courts to then being dismissed because his God probably wasn't real to realising, wait a minute, he is the only real God to then again being sent to a place because he had broken the law to now this king decreeing that your God, my God, is the only true God. And Daniel 6 ends by telling us that Daniel prospered again through, during the reign of David, uh, Darius and Cyrus because God kept Daniel safe throughout his captivity in Babylon and he used Daniel to influence others for his glory. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up just as I close. See, we've looked at a few people in the Bible this morning and each one of them knew who God said they were. David maybe didn't always use his influence wisely, but I'm sure there were a few of you here in this morning thinking, I can relate to David. I've not always used my influence the way that God intended. I know I probably have. So see, I want to bring you back then to the vision to stretch, strengthen and send people locally, nationally and globally. As I told you at the beginning, you need to know who you are in God and you need to allow him to stretch, strengthen and send you. We all need a clear vision of who we are in God. Yes, we're made in his image and no, he doesn't make mistakes. So I encourage you to spend time in his word, getting to know who he says you are. If we all do this, if everyone in this building doing it, everyone watching online does the same thing, then we'll all get behind the vision and we will reach out locally, nationally and globally. And do you know, there'll be some people sitting in here thinking, I can't do any of those things. But the other people think, when they come in this morning, I'll only go locally. Well, my challenge is maybe that's not what God's got for you. And for those who think you can't go anywhere, Locally means your next door neighbour. Locally means when you're in the shop. Locally means when you're on the bus. Speak to the bus driver. It doesn't need to be a huge thing. Sometimes we put too much emphasis on, but where is that? Nationally, could mean Carlisle. It doesn't mean that it's somewhere that is unknown. It could be somewhere where you've got family that you can use your godly image to inspire someone else in your life. Globally can be the same. There'll be people in here this morning that are thinking, Scott and Marlene, they've got children that don't live in this country, so they're still reaching globally. We don't always have to leave the country to reach because our prayers can reach our prayers never go unanswered. So if that's where you are right now, that the only way that you can physically do it is to pray and pray. As Anne told us this morning, some of us might be old pegs, and that might be an age, or that might be in our Christian lives, and we think, I'm too old now to do anything. Or are you stuck in your ways? Have you forgotten who you are in God? Have you been a Christian that long that you've started to forget some of the promises that he's given you? Get alongside that green peg. Get alongside the young peg. You might not be the person that goes globally, but there might be a younger person in your life that you have to support, whether it be in prayer, financially. I don't know. 
But God knows, God knows what it is for every single one of us in here. God has a vision, an image of all of us, but we all need to choose to be part of it. It's lovely to come on a Sunday and when you're not saving or doing anything, it's lovely to come and get fed. But when you're fed, it's not just for you, it's for whoever else that you touched this week. It's not something that when you leave those doors this morning or any other Sunday that you forget about. God wants us every day of our lives to have time with him and then use the experiences we've got of him to take out to everyone else. I've heard too many people say, I don't have a testimony. Yes, you do. Because you go up this morning, you are breathing, you are living. That in itself for some people is a testimony. For some people that's a miracle this morning. But we need to give it all back to him. As the song says, lay everything at his feet. All your failures, they don't matter. It's what comes next. It's what God is telling you. It's where God wants to send you. So I really encourage you this week, get some verses. You know where you're struggling in your life. You know what area of your life you're struggling in. Find a verse, start to read it every day this week and hold it close. And I promise you, it will eventually sink into your heart and it'll be something that you'll know, be something that you remember. And I promise you it's worth it. Because then when, the, when that, this storm or circumstance or temptation, whatever it is that you're struggling with right now, that will pass. That won't stay forever. But something similar will come up. Whether it's the same storm that comes because you didn't learn properly the first time. And hands up, I've been there. I have been there so many times that I've been in a storm and I think that's it. I've learned what it was supposed to be. No, I haven't. I've just got a little bit of the storms past. But when I hold the scripture for whatever that storm was, when the waves start coming again, I've still got that scripture. I've still got the image that God's got me, whether it be in the storm or whether I'm at the top of the mountain. Jesus knew who he was when he was at the top of the mountain when the devil sent him, throw yourself off. He knew he didn't have to because he knew he was the son of God. It didn't matter what the devil brought before him. He knew who he was. So it's the same for us. When you know who you are, when you know what your image is, when you know, and it's not in here anymore because it's easy to have head knowledge. I teach primary ones who can now read that couldn't in August, but that's head knowledge. They've learned something in their head. But when it goes from your head to your heart, it's something that will never leave you. The promises of God should be in your heart. They shouldn't be stuck up here in your head, especially when it's a promise that he's given you. And he's given us all individual promises. He's given us all something that he wants us to do. So get the scripture, hold on to it, and don't let it go. Because when you've got that in your heart, then no matter what comes up, then God can bring that back to your remembrance. God will hold you up. Just like the devil said, jump and his angels will save you. When you're in the middle of that storm, you don't have to jump. All you have to do is put your hand out and ask God, remind me, remind me what it is that I need to know. And he will. So I've just really encourage you this week to get into the word of God because it's the only place you'll find them I want you to think about one last thing 
I want you to think about the mask that I spoke about. Make sure that that mask comes off this morning. Don't come into church next week with a mask that's hiding the week that you've had. And don't leave the building this morning with a mask that's going to hide Jesus because he should be the thing that's shining brightest in your life. So when we do go locally, nationally and globally, that people will see the true vision of Jesus shining out of you. That the vision of him will be so bright that the Amy Grant song says, in my father's eyes, let us leave here wanting Jesus to be the thing that people see shining from us every day. And it'll get to a stage where you'll not need to even share Jesus because people will come and say to you, I can see that you're different. What is it that is different? So let us all get to that stage that we are the shining example, the vision of Jesus that is walking in this earth. Lord, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you that who you are, Lord. I thank you that you do have a clear image of all of us, Lord. And Lord, I pray this week that every single one of us, Lord, gets back into the Word of God, Lord. Whether we're doing it every day, Lord, or whether some of us have slept, Lord. Lord, just a few minutes every day, a few minutes extra, Lord, just to get to know you, Lord. Lord, and I pray that each one of us this week, Lord, will find a verse for our circumstances that we're in, Lord, and that you will help us learn it, Lord, so that when the storms come, Lord, that we always have a firm grip on who you are. Amen.